Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to another episode of Live from the Bayou. This is Ryan Hancock, and I'm joined as always by my co-host Stacy. Stacy, Happy New Year to you, and happy also, New Year more to importantly, you. congratulations to your your Crimson Tide on the win against Georgia. I know you were on pins and needles Monday night. I still don't think I have recovered yet, and it's Friday. <laughs> I got four hours of sleep Monday night after the game. Because I was so amped up after that victory, I could not rest. Then I, mean, I also it's so think like, I may have technically died, and then I came back to life. So yeah, it took me. So you were like, so you were like, so you were like Lazarus regarding. Yes. So you were like Lazarus. Yes. I, I think you know. I think the thing is, I, I think like I think that I was the same way when when y'all played us in in the national title game in 2011. When we lost that game, we just, even though we, we lost that game, I did not sleep that night. I did not sleep that night. So it's like, you know, so it's like, um, for me, for me, you know, and, and, and I know a lot of you, are not the only one, a lot of Alabama fans felt that same way because uh, um, Crystal had texted me, our friend Crystal, she texted me about like one in the morning. And she was like, could not believe that that game happened. Like the ending happened. She could not believe it. And I told her, I said, it's amazing. I mean, I couldn't, you know, I, I don't think you could put a price on the event, on, on, on the game. And as I told someone, I say, with him winning that game, with, the, with Alabama winning that game, it's now safe to say that Nick Saban is the greatest college coach of all time. He is no, no question. Because I, as I say, and it's not to disregard anything that Paul Bear Bryant did, but a right. lot of those games, a lot of those national titles he won with, he did, he did win it. He won national titles pre-integration and integration. Right. Nick Saban has done this on a consistent basis, like five titles in nine years. Five and nine years, and and he's and that's with the playoff thrown in too. I mean, look at all the things he's had to overcome. Now that now you know, I, I was thinking the same thing about Brian. There's nothing to take away from Coach Brian and his accomplishments, but most of his titles were were done pre-integration, post-integration. Look at what has done what's happened, Ryan. Is that the rosters have changed? Like back in the day, they could grab a hundred players and put on them put mm-hmm. on this one team. 
you can't do that now. It's like, what, 58 players now? Something like that. Eight, but no, it's like 80 because I think the NFL is like in the 50s. 80 players now, so you're 20 players short. So then you got integration. Now, not only you have integration, you got to go through playoffs. Back in the day, even even during the first moments of BCS there, it was one and two playing each other. Now you got to play two extra games to even be in this. So, I mean, I, yeah, I have to say, Saban is, to me, the best I've seen in my lifetime, and I can't argue with that. I mean, the thing the thing is, is you know, as I said, the one, one, one amazing thing about about what he's done and the process, and, and people were talking about, you know, you know, the way that Tua played and the way that Jalen Hurts handled it, I say, look, that right there is a testament a testament to what Saban has done, to what he instills in his players. And and one of the things I think that was the one of the most beautiful things about this game, about that game on Monday night, is the fact that Miss Terry, they interviewed Miss Terry after the game. They interviewed her after the game. And they were talking about they were about to go and build another house, uh, another house for Habitat for Humanity, which was something that a lot of people didn't get to see. And I think the one thing I hated was the media created this rivalry with Jalen Hurts and Tua. And I think, okay, they're kids. These are kids, okay? I don't think Jalen Hurts was jealous of Tua. Jalen Hurts understood that that he didn't play well. And I commend Nick Saban for doing something that left mouth couldn't do, which was change quarterbacks when you know your offense is going south. Right. I mean, you have well, to I take those kind of gambles. And I think it shocks everyone, but I think that you're right with the, the being, being in the heart of, of – Tied country among oh, Tide yeah, fans. Right, yeah. Like it was a split among some fans, and I, I'm I'm team Jalen, but I also said, you know, listen, I'm I support Tua too. If if Coach Saban wants to bring Tua in, I'm fine with that. I support I just support the team. A lot of Tide fans feel that way, but there was a portion that just hated, almost they hated, but just didn't like Jalen Hurts. Thought he should have been pulled a long time ago, and I'm glad. I don't know if you saw the tweet. I'm sure you did that. Tula came out and blasted some of the fans yesterday and told them that basically if you're against Jalen, you're against me. And people are trying to start rumors. They were starting rumors before the game, and now there's some Tula saying, you know, Lane Kiffin came out and said on TV or somewhere saying that if Tula didn't play in the game, he was going to transfer, which I heard rumors about that. And I said, but this kid doesn't seem to be like a Blake Barnett who's, who was like a five-star. When Jalen beat him out, he left for Arizona State. And he's still not and playing, where is, by the way. And where is Blake Barnett now? He's part of somewhere exactly. pumping gas. He's pumping gas. The thing that I think that, that Saban wants is you to check your ego in at the door. And Blake right. Barnett was not able to do that. He was not able to do that. Uh, he wasn't. And I think that's the thing that that is different from Jalen Hurts. And I even said on Twitter, I said, and I and I, and I said on Twitter, um, that little bunch of idiots. Um, we won't name, you know, the little yeah. bunch of those idiots. I said right. some of it, some of them. I know some of it maybe didn't seem racial, but there were some. 
some Alabama fans that didn't want Jalen Hurts to start because he was black. Like I will right. say that there was a, like a small segment. Whereas, whereas to me, I think that Brian Dabble didn't really get the most out of Jalen Hurts. I think he, you know, no. Lane Kiffin really got the most out of out of Jalen Hurts, and I think that's why. Right. Lane and I said, and I said, I said the ball to me was the worst play call. I think that I until till Monday night, to be honest, I was really not that impressed with with his play calling. But I think maybe he stretched out the, the playbook a little bit more with Tula. But I think that Lane, I think, knew Jalen more than Duvall did. So I was less, but I was impressed with the fact that he that Tula was ready. He went out there and just did the damn thing, but. I don't think he did much with Jalen. I agree. I think Jalen improved somewhat, but I think, like you said, I think people expected him improved by leaps and bounds, and it didn't happen this year. Which I think, you know, which I think, you know, which I think, you know, which I think in so many words is kind of unfair to put on a sophomore because he's still a sophomore. He's still an underclassman. So he's not going to, improve the way you think he's going to improve. He's not going to improve the way he, you think he's going to improve. But if you let Alabama fans tell it, if you let them tell it, it's like he has to improve. He's got to play like A.J. McCarron. No, he doesn't have to do any of those things. Right. But, but well, Alabama anyway, fans are full. <laughs> Alabama fans yeah. are very full. And anyway, we do have Tony Patelius. He's a good friend of mine. He always comes on to talk. He comes on all my radio shows to talk about college basketball. And we're going to be speaking speaking with him about the world in SEC basketball. He's actually on with us right now. And Tony, hey, how are Tony. you doing? After- I'm good. How are you guys? Great. Happy New Year to you. you too. Happy New Year. Well, Tony, right now in the SEC bas in the SEC basketball, I'm a lot more positive these days. You know, you get what I'm saying. I'm a Absolutely. lot more positive. I mean, I'm actually, I'm not as angry as I was when when I was doing my old radio show last year, <laughs> when I felt like I really wanted to like beat the. Where I literally was like questioning everything because Johnny Jones was just he just made me so sad. <laughs> However, well, you have a you have a very good coach now with Will Wade, so I think you're in a lot better shape down in uh, Baton Rouge. Right. But anyway, before we get go further into this, if the season ended today, they just updated the uh, the brackets, the uh, updated projected brackets. If the season ended today, the SEC would take would have Auburn, Georgia, Texas A and M. And that's in one bracket. That's a, that's in the East region. In the West region, um, the record, the um, Missouri would be the 11th seed. In the South region, uh, the rec- the uh, the brackets, the projected brackets would show Tennessee as the five seed, Florida as the seven seed, and in the Midwest, you would have Kentucky as the four seed. Arkansas is the seventh seed, so those are those are the those are the projected brackets right now according to ESPN. 
what has made the SEC bas- SEC so good in basketball this year? You know, it's the depth of the conference is really the impressive thing to me. I mean, you have teams like at the bottom, like Mississippi State, South Carolina, you know, Old Miss. I mean, these aren't these aren't bad basketball teams. So it's really tough to win on any given night, especially on the road. And you see teams like Tennessee improving. Uh, Arkansas has a, has a pretty good team this year. Uh, you know, Texas A&M, when healthy, is a dangerous team. So Missouri is a lot better this year. We know how much they struggled last year. So the depth of the conference is really impressive to me, and it probably puts it in that top three of conference rankings. I mean, I think the Big 12 obviously is the best conference, but you can make a case that the SEC is second or even third. So um, if they can continue this, I, I can see them easily getting seven or eight bids in the NCAA tournament. Well, what about Alabama? I'm a Crimson Tide fan, and there were high expectations coming into this year. And so far, at least the last few weeks, they've struggled. And yeah, you know, what's going on with them? You know, it, it's tough to say because a team with that much talent, you know, you're, it's, it's very surprising. I mean, Colin Sexton, we're talking about maybe even a top five pick in the NBA draft. And it just hasn't clicked. I mean, Braxton Key obviously was a big loss. He's come back. He still doesn't look like himself. I don't know if he's just not, you know, still transitioning back or he's still hurt. I'm not sure. But they're relying, I think, way too much on Colin Sexton. I mean, I see a lot of just him standing at the top of the key, dribbling for 25 seconds, and then, you know, driving to the basket. They need to get the other players involved. Days on Ingram has been somewhat disappointing. I mean, Dante Hall's played well, but – it's definitely, definitely disappointing. I mean, they were a top 25 team preseason, and I don't know if it's Avery Johnson, because if a team with all this talent is struggling as much as they are, I, I think you have to put some of it on the coaching staff. I, I have to agree with that. How put on the, on, on the, on the coaching staff? Because to me, Stacey and, and Tony, I think I see this similar to what happened with Ben Simmons. At yeah. LSU, because when, when Ben Simmons got there, a lot of people, and people in Baton Rouge told me this, there were a lot of people on that team that were jealous of all the attention that Ben Simmons was getting. And the thing was, he was he, LSU was ranked, I think, 21 or 22 in the country when the season started. You know, the thing I've heard about Avery Johnson is, He's kind of has that NBA, you know, he was obviously, we know he coached in the NBA and he kind of has that NBA mentality as a coach. And I don't think you can coach the same way in college, the way you do in the NBA. I've heard from people, you know, in the SEC media and whatnot, that he's kind of soft on his players and he's not hard on them and he doesn't push them enough. So I don't know. I'm not making accusations or anything like that, but again, I just keep going back when you have guys like Sexton and Petty and Dante Hall and Ingram, you you got to be better than, than than you are. I mean, so it, that's the thing that I'm starting to think about. Is this a coaching issue? Because you know he, he hasn't had the, he's been there for three years. This was a big up. This is the year they were supposed to turn the corner and be an NCAA tournament team. And right now they are not even close to it, in my opinion. I have to agree with that. I think Avery's problem to me maybe, and I mean this sounds crazy, guys, but. I wonder if there's just too much talent on that team right now. Yeah, I'm in the bathroom. I'm in the bathroom. And 
I, I wonder if it's too much. I wonder if it's just too much talent on that team, and the ball can't get around to everybody. Because, like you said, Colin Saxon, uh, up until the other night when he just had five points, uh, he he's been the man. He's he's been the main person, right. you know, getting things done. But I think that it may be too much talent because it seems like Avery Johnson coaches better when he doesn't have that much talent. His two best to uh, Coach-wise uh, uh, was his first two teams when he just had Reggie Bassahan and, and Riley Norris sitting threes all the time. But now having all this right. talent, it seems like he seems lost. Yeah, you know, and this team has absolutely no depth. I mean, they get all their production from their top three guys. And after their top three, they don't get anything. I mean, now Riley Norris is out. Avery Johnson Jr., I don't even know why he actually plays minutes. He doesn't really give them much at all. But, I mean, they don't have anybody else. I mean, other than Sexton, Petty, and Hall, I mean, who can you go to? I mean, Herb Jones isn't, hasn't taken – Herb Jones just isn't ready to play in a big spot. Braxton he has given them almost nothing since he's returned. So there's a lot of question marks outside of Sexton and Petty. I agree. What, well, let's, you, what about, let's talk uh, about Texas Auburn. A&M. Yeah. You want to talk about Texas A&M? Yeah, yeah, let's, let's talk about, uh, Texas, we'll talk about A&M. Texas, Texas A&M and then Auburn. Uh, what, okay. what do you think? Tex- can, can Texas A&M turn it around, first and foremost? Yes, Ryan, because this team has been absolutely decimated with injuries. I mean, the whole season and suspensions. You know, they started off the season, J.J. Caldwell missed four games. B.J. Hogue just missed three games. Robert Williams has missed time with injuries. And we know Admon Gilder, who, in my opinion, is, is their best player all around. He missed three weeks with a knee injury. And now Dwayne Wilson's dealing with things. So if this team has everybody on the floor and everybody in their rotation healthy, they're a top 10 team. I mean, they showed it early in the season. They were, got ranked up to, I think, fifth in the country. So as long as these guys can get healthy and get on the right track, then they'll be fine. But, I mean, it's been rough because they've, mm-hmm. been missed, they've missed so many players. Yeah, it seems like they're getting better, though, at least a little bit healthier and a little bit better because they played close games the last few games they right. played. Yeah, they had an opportunity to beat Kentucky. They came up a little bit short. You know, Admon Gilder is back in the lineup now, so I feel a lot better about their chances because I think he's their best player. And he kind of does he does a little bit of everything for them. So let this team get healthy, and then I think they'll take off. But, you know, they gotta, they're got they getting in that danger zone because they're 0-3 in conference. So they got to start p- uh, piling up some wins. Yeah. Well, what about Auburn now? That, that might be a surprise of the conference is Auburn. Auburn, you know, Auburn is, is one of the best stories in college basketball this year. I mean, they, they lose Austin Wiley and Daniel Purifoy with the FBI investigation, and you think, uh-oh, this team's in trouble. They got picked ninth preseason. And now they're in first place, and I think they're the best team in the conference right now. And, you know, the last few weeks, they, they're piling up quality wins. They beat Middle Tennessee State. They beat Tennessee. They just crushed Auburn. So this team has been really impressive. They're a lot better defensively this year. They're one of the best rebounding teams in the country. They have two really good players in Bryce Brown and Mustafa Haran. So, and the impressive thing to me is they're doing this with the FBI covering over the program. So they're, they're really good, and I'm really surprised. I think we're all surprised because we really thought that, like you said, with the, the Wiley, uh, Wiley missing and, and the other player, that we all thought, well, Auburn is just going to collapse. And I honestly thought they were going to fire Bruce Pearl before the season started. I was like, he's a dead man walking. Oh, absolutely. Especially I think a lot of people thought that. I mean, 
a lot of people thought yeah. this. I mean, even back when you came on my radio show, um, on, on my old radio show last year, Tony, you thought that as well. Oh, absolutely. With what came out uh, with the FBI investigation and Chuck Person, I mean, I can't I, – I, I'm, I'm kind of surprised he's still there. It shocked us out. So what about, what about uh, Kentucky and Florida? Well, you know, Kentucky is a team that is super young, and I know we say that about Kentucky every year. But, you know, last year they had Dominique Hawkins. They had uh, Derek Willis. They had Isaiah Briscoe. So they had some veterans to lean on. This this year, they have nobody, absolutely nobody. You know, Wenning Gabriel played sparingly last year. I think he's a sophomore now. But, you know, so, that, you, you know, they're slowly getting better. Um, you know, they got the talent. But they don't have, like, a, a top-five pick on their team this year. You know, they don't have a Carl Towns. They don't have an Anthony Davis. So, do they have enough talent to make a deep run in the NCAA tournament? I'm not so sure. I think they're more of, a, like, a second-round or maybe Sweet 16 team this year. I just don't think they have enough at the top of the uh, at the top of the roster to make a deep run, but still a very good team, and I think they'll get better as the season goes on. And what about the Gators? Well, the Gators are a team that you know they they were the talk of college basketball early with that their you know how well they played at the PK80 tournament, and then they kind of fell flat. They lost like four out of five games, but now they've won six in a row, and they seem to be figuring things out. So I think Florida is a team that's on the rise. And you know, it's kind of showing us that they're they're still a good team. They just had a rough stretch. They weren't playing good defense. They were relying on three pointers too much. So I, I think this team has plenty to to win the. I think they're besides Auburn right now. I probably have to put Florida at number two and, and the other favorite to win the conference. Well, the other surprise in the conference is Tennessee. Another team that a lot of people will finish, I thought they'll finish in the middle of the pack or dead last in the conference, and, and they're doing well, with the exception of yes. Auburn. Absolutely. You know, Tennessee is a team that – you got to remember, last year, they were in the NCAA tournament discussion for quite a while. They kind of fell off at the end of the season, but this team is really, really good. They're one of the best defensive teams in the country. Grant Williams is turning into an SEC player of the year SEC player of the year. Uh, you know, they have so many guards, and they have, they're so pesky on the defensive end. They have a lot of weapons. Rick Barnes has done a really good job with this program. I wasn't that surprised. I was really high on this team preseason. I talked about them a lot. Um, so I think they're a, another team that's just an, a quality NCAA tournament team, and, and it just adds more depth to the conference. So who is your pick to win it all? at the end of the season as far as in the SEC? You know, I, I'm going to go with I'm gonna go with Florida. Uh, I would not be shocked if Auburn wins it, but I, I feel better about Florida just, um, you know, with, with their veteran leadership, and I think that will kind of win out. So I'd probably go with the Gators right now, but there's a long way to go. Um, you know, look at LSU, how they're playing. Tennessee, as we just right. talked about. So, But I, I think I'd lean Florida slightly over Auburn. I think Auburn's a better team right now. But I think once we get to the end of the season, Florida's going to be, you know, kind of a Final Four contender. Wow. That's that's saying a lot to say that they'll be a Final Four contender. Wow. Well, yeah, well uh, they got a lot of seniors in, on that team, so they've been through a lot of big games. So how, many who, you, how many teams do you see going uh, going to the uh, going in going to the tournament from the SEC? Right. I was about to say the same thing. 
You know, Ryan, I think, you know, you have Florida, Auburn, Kentucky are, are obviously locks. I think Tennessee's a lock right now, too. So, so that's, uh, that's four. And then you're going to have Missouri in the mix. You're going to have uh, Arkansas as an NCAA tournament team, too. I would say seven, maybe eight. You know, I think that's a good number, and, and that's really impressive from what they've come off the last few years. I think, you know, they've been a top-heavy league this year. They have a lot of depth. So, and then Texas A&M, too. So let's say this. Florida, Auburn, Kentucky, Missouri, Tennessee, Arkansas, Texas A&M. That's seven. And then you'll probably see a team maybe like Alabama if they can turn it around or a maybe even an LSU. We don't know. Maybe they can sneak in. So I would say seven, maybe eight uh, would be would, something I'd be comfortable saying. Well, if that happens, that means it was a good year for the SEC. And I, I think that says oh. a lot. I think the SEC coaches, uh, well, the SEC schools got the message that they need to step up their game at, like, football and right. and get all these new coaches. And I think that's exactly what you see that, is all these new coaches coming in has made these teams better. That That is such an excellent point. I always rave about the coaching, the coaching tree in the SEC. I mean, you have John Calipari, Bruce Pearl, Mike White, Quanzo Martin, and then you bring in a guy like Will Wade, and Rick Barnes is a great coach. So there's so many coaches you can look to. Mike Anderson's a good coach, so – you know, I think right. Bryce Drew, you know, Bryce Drew, Vanderbilt's not a good team this year, but Bryce Drew's doing a great job. Look at the recruiting class he has coming in next year. He's got two five-star players coming in. So the the depth of the – not just the depth of the teams, but look at all these great coaches. Right. Definitely. Right. Tony, thank you so much for dropping by our show tonight. Uh, that is Tony Patilius from College Hoop News. We we'll follow him Thanks, on Twitter Tony. at College Hoops. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate it. And we'll see you down the road. All right, Ryan. Thank you. No problem. So now, Stacey, we move over to John Gruden coming back to the NFL. And before we start this, the whole Rooney Rule thing, and and I've always said this, uh, I've said this before, and I, I told this to a friend of mine, at, at, at Kentucky, at, uh, at, uh, the kids wear a crown. I said, you know, the Rooney rule to me sounds like a big joke because I feel like the Raiders settled and listened to the fans and felt like, well, John Gruden should be our coach, and they should have gave Jack Del Rio another year. Right. That being said, I feel that this, what we're seeing with the Raiders and hiring John Gruden is going to be almost what happened with the Saints hiring Mike Dicker uh, Mike Dicker in, uh, in 97. I did disagree with that. I, I, I think, I don't know if I said this to you, fine, but I know I said it to other people that I don't see why the love for John Gruden won a Super Bowl with Tony Dungy's players. And his record is barely above 500. Somebody said, well, he's a great offensive mind. I was like, what? I can't even recall him being a great offensive mind. He was a defensive genius, I thought. And I just, I don't see the love. And I'm like, the Raiders are paying him $100 million. Bet money, he will be gone. I was saying three years. I'll give it three years, he will be gone. I was looking at his record. And we're not, and we're not just talking about 
what he did. I mean, where you know when we're looking at his record as a head coach, I mean, he's won five games in the postseason, five and four in, in the in the uh, in postseason. But in his career, he went to the postseason. Let's see, one, two, three, four, five times. He's only won ten or more games three times. If you take away after 2002, he only had two more winning seasons, well, three more winning seasons and two playoff appearances and no playoff wins after his Super Bowl in 2002. The the number of wins he won and the number of games he won in the playoffs in 2002 is pretty much 50% of the games that he has won in the playoffs. Wow. That being yeah. He's only put he's only coached five he's coached in nine playoff games and he's only won five of them. He has a six hundred winning percentage in regular season play. You know, he he has a six hundred winning percentage in regular season play. Well actually five forty in, in in regular season play, but barely above fifty percent in and he's also the he's also the in Tampa Bay history. He's won 57 games. However, that being said, being the winningest coach in Tampa Bay history isn't really saying a lot because Tampa Bay has had a very sad history in football. The thing that I don't get is why fire Jack Del Rio and bring in John Gruden because you want to recapture the glory days of the early 2000s, which really wasn't nothing except, oh, yeah, you went to the AFC title game, you lost to the Patriots, and then you traded him to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and got to a Super Bowl, but those were his players. Right. So basically he was coaching two teams in the Super Bowl. It's strange, and like you said, no black coaches or, per, or coaches of color <laughs> were even interviewed. They, they interviewed T. Martin, which they basically gave him a token interview. This was right after they interviewed, after they said, we're going with John Gruden as our head coach. And I'm like, that's, that's shameful. I mean, th- that right there tells me everything I need to know about the Rooney Rule. The Rooney Rule is a huge, a humongous joke. However, I will say this. You do see a lot of African Americans getting second chances as head coaches. However, in the case of, let's say, for example, Dirk Carter versus Jim Caldwell, Jim Caldwell gets fired, but Dirk Carter doesn't get fired. Right. And Jim Caldwell had the Lions in the hunt for a playoff spot all the way up until, like, I guess the week before Christmas. The thing that I did say in, 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 you know, in my case against Jim Caldwell is that he hasn't shown up against winning teams. That right. might be an understanding of why he did get fired. However, if this was Jim Caldwell and not John Gruden, would uh, would we would we see something like this, where he getting a second chance after ten years? And the answer is a resounding no. 
Not at all. Not at all. I mean, most black coaches, I can't think of anybody. Well, Dungy's the main I mean, one I can think of. Dungy, well, Dungy's but Dungy, yeah, but Dungy, yeah, but then Dungy, he got there, you know, Dungy got there, you know, he got to Indianapolis and he won, you know, within four years, he won himself a Super Bowl. Right. But the fact that, and, and I'm actually going to look at this, the Temple Bay Ring of Honor, Tony Dungy, of all the people that's in the uh, in the uh, in the thing, you have Leroy uh, Selman, John McKay, Paul Gruber, Warren Sapp, Derek Bruce, Mike Allstott, Doug Williams, John Lynch, and Malcolm Glazer. There's no John Gruden. I mean, and of course John Gruden. The fact that Tony Dungy isn't in there is mind-boggling because Tony Dungy built that. He's the Tampa Bay Buccaneers into what it was in the early, in the late 90s and early 2000s. Well, and for they, him they to not be, be Go ahead. For him to not be in that is, is, is shameful. It is, but it's not shocking. They might be still, you know, salty over the fact that his Indianapolis team came back and beat Tampa, remember? <laughs> that Peyton Manning yeah. came back, what, 17 points, 21 points down and beat them, so they might still kind of be salty over that all these years that Tony was more successful in Indy. But you're right. I mean, he he built that basically grooming team that won the Super Bowl. And for him not to be on it is it, shameful. It's, very, it's sure it's shameful. But in, any, in Indianapolis, he's honored. I mean, he's honored up there with Marvin Harrison and Eric Dickerson and and Eric Dickerson and Marshall Falk and Bill Polian and Jeff Saturday and, and Peyton Manning and all them guys. They honor, they, he's honored there in, in, in Indianapolis. He's the winningest, believe it or not, he's the winningest coach in the history of, uh, of, the, uh, of, of the franchise. If, if I'm not mistaken, he's the, uh, if I'm not mistaken, he's the winningest coach in Indianapolis history. I think he's won, uh, let's see here. And I'm looking at this. He won, uh, 85 games. He's 85 and 27. Uh, he was 85 and 27 in Indianapolis, which would make him the winningest coach in the history of the Colts. That's in Baltimore and Indianapolis. So, as I said, I think it's um, I think it's it's shameful that he's not on the third in Tampa. But that being said, Stacey, even though we had a few technical difficulties tonight, we are shifting over to the NFL playoffs. We got yep. Jaguars and Patriots Titans as well as the Atlanta NFL team against the Eagles and the Saints versus the Vikings. So let's move first, talk first about the, uh, the Steelers and the Jaguars. Of course, the Steelers, uh, the Jaguars made Ben Rothenberger throw five interceptions in their week five matchup. Who do you see winning this game? Because I, I think, to me, experience is going to normally triumph in playoffs. However, if Blake Bortles and I had a conversation with the guys over at the Kid Wear Crown, if Blake Bortles played like he played against Seattle, uh, against Seattle, there's a good chance that the that the Jaguars will be playing in the AFC in the AFC title game. However, I'm going with the Steelers in this because I think the experience and the fact that the Steelers are on a mission, they want. New England. They want New England. I think the Steelers win this game twenty eight to ten. 
I have to agree with you. I think uh, I don't, you know, I don't see the Jaguars scoring any points in this. They were putrid last week, and for the fact, you know, for the Bills to not even come close, the Bills should have won. You know, Bills could have mustered up a couple of field goals. They could have won, you know, this game. But I don't, I don't even see. Uh, I don't see the Jags scoring any points in this game. I'm going with the Steelers. It's going to be 35 to zero. Oh, 35 to zero, and that game is in Pittsburgh. So, I mean, that wouldn't be a shock to me. Now, the Patriots and Titans. The Titans. I I, I don't know what to think because <laughs> I talked to a, a couple of friends of mine. Like we were in this group chat. And we were talking about uh, we were talking about the Titans and and the Patriots and a lot of things regarding the Titans is Terry Robisky and the offense that they uh, that they uh, that they called and you know and the one thing that I had the one thing that um, that a lot of people said uh, last week with Titans fans, and you talk to Titans fans, they said that Marcus Mariota basically saved Mike Malarkey's ass because if they lose that game, if the Chiefs don't blow that game, Mike Malarkey is fired because they were going to, he was about to get fired. And I think from the second quarter, from the second, from the third quarter on, Marcus Mariota was calling those plays and got the Titans in a position to win and move on to the next round. Well, I, I, I agree. I don't, I don't see the Titans uh, having any kind of success. Uh, well, they might have some success, but not the kind of success they had last week. Um, and besides Mariota, the, the smartest thing they did in that game was to get the ball to Derrick Henry. And as Alabama fans know, when we won the championship a few years ago, that was that was the offensive philosophy: is get the ball to Derrick at the end of the game and he'll carry it. But I don't, I don't see it happening this time. I, I, I don't think they're good enough to go out there and uh, and win this game. The one thing that the one thing that. Uh, my friends and I, we were talking about, and he brought up a good point. And it's sort of like when you play Alabama. If you're wanting to beat Alabama, you have to play a perfect game. You have to run the ball well, and you have to hit Brady. You know, you right. have to make – you know, what Alabama is, you have to run the ball, and you have to make Jalen Hurts throw. This is the same thing with Brady and the Patriots. If you're going to beat the Patriots, you're going to have to run the ball well, and you're going to have to hit Haiti. Uh, hit Brady, which is what we saw when they took on the Dolphins in Miami. The, uh, the Dolphins ran the ball well. They made a few mistakes, and they hit Brady where it hurts. So right. the same thing has to happen with the Titans. If they want to beat the if they want to beat the Patriots, they have to play a perfect game. They can't make any turnovers. You can't make any mistakes. You can't settle for field goals, which is what we what I was telling you before the show. Uh, which is what Georgia did, right? And you know when they were in the red zone, you have to keep scoring. You got to score touchdowns. You cannot score field goals. You cannot score field goals because look what you got on the other side. You got Tom Brady. Yeah, you can you can't afford to just sit back and sell for field goals. No, you you're gonna have to score. And 
You know the Patriots' defense is, I would say, a suspect. I don't see the the Titans score enough points against the Patriots. I think the Patriots are easy, easily outscore the Titans. I think I'll, I'll go with the Patriots. I'll go. Uh, I'll go twenty-eight seventeen. Uh, I'm going twenty-eight ten Patriots. Twenty-eight to ten Patriots. Now we shift over to the NFC, the Atlanta NFL team against the Philadelphia Eagles. <laughs> Let me say people... the Falcons. <laughs> the hate is real, y'all. The hate is real. <laughs> I mean, I actually, like I say, I've actually been trying to tell people on my, uh, you know, my friends on Saints Twitter. I say, look, we are not arguing with less fortunate franchises. Stop arguing with Falcons fans because they, you know, they can't read. <laughs> you know, half of them can't read. Half of them can't read anyway. So it's like, you know, I, one time I actually paid a guy $5 to read Cat in a Hat, and he was a Falcons fan. So that's a story for another day. The Falcons take okay. on the Eagles. Uh, the Falcons take on the Eagles. The, per- the, the Saints fan in me, I hate the Falcons, but I see the Falcons pulling off the upset. However, Nick Foles is not somebody you need to sleep on. No. He is not somebody you need to sleep on because Nick Foles can give you a good game, can play his ass off. And just because, you know, of course, everybody like, well, Connor Wentz is out, Connor Wentz is out, and, um, the, you know, the Falcons got that defense. No, here's my whole thing. The Falcons have not looked good the last few weeks of the season. The last few weeks of the regular season, they did not look good. They barely beat – they struggled to beat Tampa Bay. They – came out flat against the Saints, and they came out flat against the Panthers, despite the fact they did. They won the game, but still, they didn't really show anything that impressed me. I mean, yes, you beat the Rams, okay? You beat the Rams, and and I think in, in that game, the experience that Matt Ryan has in playoff games, that basically prevailed them over the Rams. However, in this case, you're going to Philadelphia. That fan, that that crowd's going to be raucous. More importantly, you. More importantly, I just don't think the Falcons. I, I just don't think that the Falcons, even though they, I still, I have them. I picked them to win this game. I still don't think they're gonna. They're gonna show that that their offense is gonna be, quote unquote something that we saw, something similar to what we saw last year. I think it's going to be a low-scoring game. I think it's going to be at least 24-17 Falcons, and that's my story. Well, my biggest enjoyment on Twitter is watching Falcons and Saints fans go at it because I laugh. I think I have more – Thanks, friends. I do Falcon fans, but uh, friends. But y'all are hilarious. As as a bystander Dallas Cowboy fan whose teams did not make the playoffs this year, my joy is watching them battle it out, y'all. It's funny. It's a a knockdown. It's a knockdown. It's nasty. Like it is nasty. Like we. Oh, it's wait. We don't even. I think in Alabama, Auburn is nasty. No, sir. Saints and Falcon fans truly hate each other with a capital H. It's the funniest thing ever, though. Lord. <laughs> I'm, I'm telling you this. I'm telling you this. I'm telling you this. Um, we There was a Falcon fan 
I'm gonna tell you this story. There was a Falcons fan that was talking crap about us. We tried to get him fired at his job. Like we <laughs> literally tried to get him fired. And the only thing that stopped me from doing, from getting him fired was somebody had called me like, Brian, don't do it, don't do it. I'm like, no, he said some stuff about us. He said some he talked crap about my friends and he made some racist jokes. And the same thing happened like a few weeks ago. Someone was saying, Well, Katrina needs to happen again. I said, All right. Ooh. We got that guy up out we got that guy up out the paint. Up out <laughs> the paint. There's a very huge hatred with that team, with Saints fans. And somebody had actually got mad, believe it or not. Somebody actually got mad and said, um, got mad at me for calling Julio Jones Julia Jones and started going all feminist Twitter on my ass. I said, okay. Just because I call Julio Jones Julia Jones on Twitter doesn't mean I'm a, mis- a misogynist or don't, or you know, I'm like, come on now. It was a joke. I've always called, I've called Anthony Davis Mr. Brittle. Oh, that's offensive. <laughs> but uh, who's yeah, picking okay. this game? I'm going with the Eagles. I don't think the Falcons have enough on offense to to beat the Eagles. Although the Eagles uh, defense, again, I've put right up there as suspect. I don't think the Falcons are going to be able to, to score the points to win this game. I don't see it happening. I'm going with the Eagles. I'm going to say Eagles uh, 24, Falcons, I'll go 20. I'll give the Falcons 20. Now we go to the last game, the Saints and Vikings. Ooh. <laughs> this game, I, I told someone, I, uh, I had told a friend of mine, she plays bets on football games. I say, look, some games you don't touch with a rod. Don't touch a lot of these games with a rod. This is one game you don't want to touch with a rod. The homer and me picked the Saints because they got Drew Brees. And this is not the same team that they saw, that the Vikings saw against the Saints in week one. Um, I'm, going, I'm, I'm, going with the, I'm going with the Saints. I think, you know, I, I'm going with the Saints. I think they got, the thing that the Saints got to do is they got to run the ball well. They got to, find, they got to contain Rudolph and that other dude, uh, the the what the other white dude uh, that wears number nineteen for the Vikings, they gotta contain them two guys, and they got to be they got to be better at running the football. They're running the run game didn't get abandoned entirely last week. However, however, the running game needs to be a whole lot better when uh when we play the uh the Vikings in Minnesota on Sunday. So I'm going with the Saints. Even though I don't like even though I want to be very, you know, unbiased, I'm I'm going with the bias pick. I'm going with the Saints. It's gonna be twenty eight to twenty four Saints. Well I um I don't want to touch this game with ten foot pole either 'cause I'm like I'm I'm thinking back and forth. I'm gonna say Vikings only because of the home field advantage. I think that the Vikings, uh, and, I, and well, I won't say only the home field advantage. I think the defense is better also. 
I think they're, what, number one or two or three. They're one of the top defenses in the NFL, and I think they will shut um, the Saints offense down, offense down. But it wouldn't shock me if the Saints won, but I'm, I'm going to say Minnesota, and like I said, primarily because of the home field advantage. And I'll go uh, for Minnesota 28, and I'll go Saints, uh, let's say, Let's say Saints twenty one. I think it'll be by a touchdown. I think that they'll they'll somehow pull it out in the end. Well, Stacy, we are going. We come to the conclusion of this show. And next week, next week we're going to have a lot of other topics, and you never know what we might have. We might have comedy. We might have sports. You never know. But thank you so much for uh, tuning in to uh, to us tonight on Block Talk Radio and Double Overtime Radio. But as always. Say goodnight, Stacy. Good night, Stacy. <laughs> See you guys soon. <laughs>